Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John saying Chris Household is our executive producer coming at you from South Carolina. Thea Harper joins us later in the show for the Minority Report. She is in Brooklyn. And all night long, we've got some great guests, including journalist Brian Karam, who will be talking about, well, um, the most recent revelation of Trump corruption, the hearings, of course, and... Uh, Ringo Starr, who turns 82 years old today. Brian wasn't just Playboy magazine's White House correspondent during the Trump years. As much as I love watching footage of him just going after Trump in the briefings, he's also a Beatle fanatic. And so we thought he'd be a good guy to have on on a day when the oldest Beatle turns 82. Eight, Ringo's almost old enough to be president of this country. Also, Nita Khan joins us for her excellent new piece that she wrote on Medium about Democratic leadership. And what Democratic leadership has to do to survive this upcoming midterm, which I I, I kind of still think uh, that might happen. I'm thinking more and more the Democrats might pick up seats in the Senate. I mean, if you look at Georgia, if you look at Pennsylvania, the Republicans did what they tend to do best, uh, run unelectable douchebag lunatics. They're, they're good at it. And it might backfire against them if there's high turnout. And of course... Roe v. Wade repeal and everything else that can happen between now and November guarantees. I think we're going to have pretty high turnout. And tonight's big question, let's begin. The question for this show, and we invite you guys to always call us, 866-997-GRIT in the evenings, or write us at the Tell Me Everything Facebook page or my Twitter. Here's the question, and I really need some help on this. What is the greatest political hypocrisy of your lifetime? Think back. Go go back if you were alive for Reagan or if you were alive for Nixon or Eisenhower. Um, I'd love to know what was the greatest political hypocrisy in your lifetime? Because here's the thing, guys. Remember a couple of years back when our Republican friends in Congress were starting multi-year investigations into the IRS uh, because they claimed Barack Obama was politically targeting his, his enemies? I'm kind of worried about those Republicans, folks. 
uh, they're missing. I know it was the majority of the party and the right wing media that were very, very upset having nuclear meltdowns when they suspected that Barack Obama had targeted the Tea Party with IRS audits. It turned out to be complete fake news. Obama never did anything like that. But that didn't matter to the Republicans. Where where are those Republicans? I'm a little worried about them. We should be hearing from them by now, right? Are they okay? Uh, Listen, I know Republicans in this century really care a lot about the IRS being a fair and impartial government agency. One that's only looking out to stop corruption. One that's not weaponized by an evil president to punish his enemies, right? Because that's bad, right, Republicans? The New York Times reported this week that both former FBI Director Comey and McCabe had been subject to an extremely rare type of IRS audit. Would you be shocked to know that Donald Trump politicized and weaponized the IRS to go after his political enemies? And would you be shocked to know the Republicans who falsely claim Barack Obama had done this aren't upset that Trump actually did it? Trump fired James Comey as FBI director in uh, 2017, right when the Bureau was investigating possible ties between parts of his presidential campaign and Russia. If you can't remember, his second campaign manager was fired because of his connections to Russia. Okay, he shared polling data. Paul Manafort. There was collusion. Let's move on. McCabe then became acting FBI director and he was fired in March of 2018 by Donald Trump's attorney general, Jeff Sessions. Remember that name? And that was just remember a couple days before McCabe was going to retire and get his pension. And just days before he retired. They fired him so he couldn't get his pension. Right? Dick move. Even by Jeff Sessions and Trump's day. I mean, he's on CNN now. I guess the guy's doing okay. Well, it turns out Comey was audited for his federal tax returns for 2017 and 2019. And McCabe was audited for his 2019 federal tax return. Why? Because authoritarians always turn the power of the state against their enemies. The IRS says... In 2017, it randomly picked 5,000 taxpayers out of 153 million who filed. Out of 153 million, they picked 5,000 people randomly for a highly invasive audit. That's what they said. They said in uh, 2019, they randomly picked out of 154 million, they randomly picked 8,000 for a highly invasive random audit. Among those picked... Former FBI director fired by Trump, Jim Comey, twice, and his deputy, former FBI director Andy McCabe, fired by Trump. They did it. Bill Pascarell's New Jersey Democrat, he said the IRS chief needs to be fired. He said, if you think the audit of Donald Trump's purported enemies was a random act of God, then I have a bridge in North Jersey I want to sell you. He's chairman of the House Ways and Means Subcommittee. He said, there may be no group on the face of this earth deserves the benefit of the doubt less than Donald Trump and his government enablers. The IRS under Donald Trump's handpicked commissioner, Charles Reddick, has been one catastrophe after another. Now, again, the New York Times in their very good piece on this noted that only about one out of every 30,600 people filing their taxes were subject to these intensive audits. The National Research Program audits, they're called. Out of every 30,600 Americans filing taxes, one was chosen. And it just happened to be guys Trump hated. Mm-hmm. The IRS databook says for all the returns filed in the years 2011 through 2019, only 0.55% of individual returns were even audited. This is corruption. This is authoritarianism. And it's everything the Republicans accused the black president of doing. Now, it's kind of outrageous, whatever you think of these gentlemen, that Comey and McCabe were randomly selected 
for the most intrusive form of IRS audits. It screams, investigate me. And the head of the IRS has now asked the Treasury Department's internal watchdog to investigate these tax audits. But guys, to me, that's not even the real scandal here. Remember when the IRS was investigating the nonprofits that were ripping us off? Let's go way back to 2013. Hmm? The IRS, under the Obama administration, this is what Republicans yelled about. What were they actually doing back then? Well, they were selecting political groups applying for tax-exempt status for extra-heavy scrutiny based on their names or political themes. They wanted to find out if some of these groups weren't really nonprofits, but were actually just political groups. Because we all know they are. This is how bribery is legal in our country. So conservatives claim they were specifically targeted by the IRS because words have been searched like Tea Party. Never mind that words have been searched for liberals like Occupy. There was widespread condemnation of the IRS. Many investigations. An FBI criminal probe happened. ABC News' Terry Moran said uh, this was truly an Exonian abuse of power by the Obama administration. Ooh. Joe Scarborough said this is tyranny. And he talked about unspeakable abuses by the IRS. This time it's real. Joe Manchin called the IRS's actions un-American. And all of this was what the dictionary and the Bible call bullshit. An elaborate, innuendo-heavy lie that kept getting repeated in our media over and over and over again, like the Hillary email scandal, until people believed there was a scandal. The IRS scandal. Oh, the IRS scandal. The, the, the IRS was literally investigating nonprofits to find out if they were ripping us taxpayers off. That's what they were doing. Are you claiming you're not political when you're really political because you don't want to pay taxes? We're going to find out because it's not fair. That's all the IRS was doing, and the Republicans played victim for years. Oh, my God. Do you remember? They, they milked it so hard, my, my nipples are sore. And by the way, you know how many Republican groups lost their nonprofit status? You know how many Republican groups had to reveal the donors? Zero. But the GOP still cried victim, and the years went on, and there was still no evidence. Year after year, they would scream about the IRS is targeting us, and there was no evidence. It was a zombie scandal, and that's what they do. You say the word Hunter Biden in a mirror five times and create a zombie scandal. And they would create news out of non-news by continuing to complain about a scandal that didn't exist. So finally, after years, the Treasury Department's inspector general had a report in 2017 that found that from 2004 to 2013, the IRS used both conservative and liberal keywords to choose targets for further scrutiny. They cleared them. There was no bias against conservatives. Democratic Senator Ron Wyden said after years of baseless claims and false accusations, it is my hope Republicans will finally put an end to this witch hunt and admit to their attacks on the IRS, but we're nothing but political grandstanding on behalf of special interests at the expense of American taxpayers. And throughout this whole thing, for years, the Republicans would use this fake IRS scandal. There was no IRS scandal. There never was. That was a reason to keep on punishing the agency and cut the budgets more. Think about why is ACORN defunct? What, what happened to ACORN? They were the victims of a non-scandal. This right-wing group doctored videos to make it appear that the group was corrupt. ACORN was a place that taught poor folks how to write resumes. The Republicans will never admit there was no scandal. You have to remember that. This story's forgotten right by now, right? It's like Iran-Contra lying to get into Iraq. Republicans do this stuff. It's revealed to be dishonest and corrupt, and they skate clean, and no one cares. No one holds them to account, and it's forgotten. It's why no one cares about George Bush and Dick Cheney anymore. They'll never admit there wasn't a scandal, and the Democrats never made a serious effort to educate the public about this, and the media 
was the worst of all because they just said, oh, it's really complicated. And, well, the two sides will just have to agree to disagree. And now we learn that Donald Trump's IRS did everything they accused Barack Obama's falsely of doing. Targeting McComey and McCabe. I mean, this was called the IRS scandal, despite the fact that absolutely zero laws were broken under Obama. And they would go on all the right wing media and say, oh, they've silenced us. Remember the right wing folks would tell oh, we, we've been silenced. I heard it thousands of times on thousands of TV shows and webcasts and radio shows. The liberal group Emerge America was targeted by the IRS and lost their tax exempt status. They had to disclose their donors. Zero of the Tea Party groups. So the Republicans that led this scandal a few years ago, they're missing. (laughs) And the only thing worse than GOP hypocrisy is how the media and the Democrats let them get away with it. And guys, there's been plenty of hypocrisy in the history of the Democratic Party. But I'm sorry, you cannot compare. For the Republicans, it is a sacrilege. You, I don't know how you can be a successful Republican anymore without indulging in biblical level hypocrisy. They accuse others of weaponizing the IRS. They did it. They accuse others of trying to cheat in an election and commit fraud. They did it. Multiple Trump administration people were using private emails. They crucified Hillary Clinton for that. Years and years of dollars. I mean, years and years and millions of dollars investigating Benghazi but never anything about the Yemen raid. They didn't care. Jeff Sessions committed perjury, but he had helped impeach Bill Clinton for perjury. The way the Republicans will scream against stimulus packages and then take credit for all the good those checks do in their own districts. The way they rail against Democrats who use teleprompters while they all use teleprompters. The way they flipped out because the black president bowed to foreign dignitaries, which is appropriate for different cultures like Bush and Nixon and Eisenhower all did. They boast of their Christianity, but they legislate against anything the character of Christ actually talked about. They think the state should have the power to regulate women's bodies, but the state should never have the power to regulate gun safety. You get the idea, right? I'm wondering, what is the greatest political hypocrisy of your lifetime? The black president couldn't nominate a guy to Supreme Court because there's an election later in the year. But the Trump guy can ram through his nominee after 50 million had already voted. They'll call you a groomer or a pedophile, but these are the ones who protected Roy Moore and Denny Hastert, weaponizing the IRS, hijacking the Supreme Court, terrorizing the Capitol. These are the family values of what used to be called the Family Values Party. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. (laughs) 
Welcome back. Brian Karam is one of our favorite guests. He's an award-winning investigative reporter, writer, producer, veteran, best-selling true crime author, former correspondent for America's Most Wanted. He was the first American reporter allowed inside Pablo Escobar's prison after Escobar escaped from Colombian authorities, which I never asked him about. And like I watched every episode of Narcos, Brian also was presented with the National Press Club's Freedom of the Press Award after he was jailed for protecting a source in 1992. Catch his excellent podcast, Just Ask the Question, and his new book, Free the Press. There's so much going on in the world, and I was so excited to get Mr. Brian Karam back to join us. Hey, John, thanks. Uh, you, you're going to have to write my CV. That was pretty good. <laughs> Listen, did I get it right? That that sounded like at first I heard because I, 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 I tell Chris whatever. Right. But Chris, there's a lot of right. pills involved. He, he doesn't listen. And what I say, it's you never know what you're going to get. So I said, play it. Don't come easy. And I hear, oh, he's got a live version. Maybe it's Bangladesh. You know, no, it, I think that, that is sounded from the like second. late yeah. 80s or early 90s live Ringo. I'm guessing I caught him in the 80s in uh, Austin, Texas. And that sounds I, I think you're right. I think that's about the right era for that, right, in, I, in the 80s. Yes. That was a great tour, by the way. Yeah, it was so a great Walsh, tour. Walsh, Nils Lofgren, a lot of great uh, yes. Clarence Clemens, Billy Preston, Dr. John, Levon Helm. What a band he had. Yeah, that was absolutely great. And it was fun to see him then, too. Absolutely. It was. We had gone, you know, a long time in this country without having a Beatle touring. Um, and that stinks. <laughs> it should be mandatory, mandatory touring for every Beatle through the states. But as that's long how it was, right? It. Like John, John died, and Paul ended Wings, and then Paul didn't tour for nine years, right? After John died, and then Ringo began his first tour nine years after John died. George right. never toured again after the seventies. So for Beatle fans. You know, not only did they, you know, break up in the 70s, they stopped touring in the 70s as the only two. Yeah. The only two I've ever seen live are uh, Ringo and Paul. Uh, never yeah. got to see George live. Never got to see John live. John never toured. And, you know, yeah. George uh, only did one little tour in Japan since the 70s. So, yeah. Um, but I want to talk to you about Ringo, but I want to talk to you other, about other threats to freedom, if we can, just just for a second, Brian. Yes, um, because Ringo is no threat to freedom. He's for it. He's he's a lovely man. Uh, the IRS is now going to investigate whether the Trump administration illegally targeted Comey and McCabe with these very rare, uh, very intensive IRS audits. Um, Lawrence Tribe has already said this would be a serious crime. And it's just amazing, Brian, time and again, the projection. The ones who are yelling about election fraud are the ones committing it. The ones who were talking about Hillary Clinton's emails were the ones letting Trump use an unsanctioned phone. And... The ones who claim that Obama was weaponizing the IRS against conservatives. I, I'm amazed by the silence now. Well, I, I'm not. A after, after covering Donald Trump for as long as I've covered him and after seeing politics in this country as I've seen it, uh, nothing would surprise me anymore. Uh, not, not with the Republicans, not with those people who call themselves Republican today. The Republicans that you and I grew up knowing don't exist anymore. And what we have are fascist authoritarians. And most of them, by the way, and you know this, like the Supreme Court, are conservative Catholics. Yeah. And that's the frightening part of that, you know. Uh, separation of church and state. There's no separation of church and state. We've become a, a theocratic, you know, uh, fascist state and um, are on the verge of it, depending on how the uh, midterms go, which is why I'm so concerned about the midterms. Yeah, well, let's talk about it. I mean, it seems like both Donald Trump and Roe v. Wade are on the ballot. The GOP is pretty determined to take high gas prices, the number one thing on the ballot. But what do you think <laughs> is going to drive voter turnout? I think Roe v. Wade is – I mean, look, there's not a more bipartisan issue in the country. 60 to 70 percent of the people 
in this country, it doesn't matter what party you're in, favor a woman's right to choose and don't want to go backwards. And the Supreme Court, I think, has done uh, the Republicans hopefully have done them a disservice by galvanizing the opposition and getting people you know, involved. Sure, there were a lot of people there was concern that uh, there wouldn't be the voter turnout needed to overturn the Republicans. And let's be honest, uh, Republicans only are uh, victorious when the voter turnout is low because That's more right. people are not Republican. More people are registered Democrats or independents. And they usually are the ones that are victorious in high voter turnout. So the Republicans are always trying to suppress the voter turnout. And so their voter always. suppression methods have uh, have not been successful as of yet. And so they're pushing even harder. I, I think this midterm election is going to be a watershed event in the history of the country and either will put to rest for you know the foreseeable future fascism or we're going to be staring at it full in the face for, you know, for the, yep. you know, foreseeable future. So it's I mean, that that hard. And I think Roe v. Wade galvanized a lot of that. I think so, too. Normally, the Democrats have to compete against Republicans and apathy and uh, this and themselves. Might, they're just well, yeah. they're just notorious for battling. They they eat their own. That's, you know, like I've said before, we have two parties in this country. One has no heart. One has no head. And the Democrats prove every day they just don't have a head for it. Um, and, you know, the Republicans will do anything to win. And we'll get up on their soapbox and box and preach and deflect and and, you know, beat you over the head and bully you and try to uh, con you and grift you. And the Democrats think if they say something once, you know, like we pass the infrastructure bill, then everybody will remember it, although they're being beat to death with the, you know, Donald Trump is still taking every stray molecule he can in the room, you know, every oxygen molecule and trying to, you know, use go wall to wall 24 seven on all the news shows. So he's still there and people don't see the Democrats don't seem to get that. It seems like the Republican Party establishment has the same strategy for the midterms as they do for the January 6th hearings, which is let's just get Trump as far away from us as possible while not alienating his base. That seems to be the entire strategy, because yeah. as I watch the January 6th hearings, they're important. And I, I, I've, I've enjoyed covering them with you. But increasingly, I just keep thinking about how in the New York Times author's book, uh, This Will Not Pass, Mitch McConnell was quoted as saying, uh, let the Democrats deal with the son of a bitch after January 6th. And it seems like, my God, these hearings are I mean, you know, they don't want Donald Trump running for president again. Well, and, yeah. And I, I think they're using the Republicans that are involved as scapegoats while at the same time secretly cheering them on. Um, I, I think if you look, all, most of the witnesses have been Republicans. Yep. And the Republicans have taken the lead, you know, Cheney and Kinsinger have taken the lead in, in you know, grilling these witnesses. So I think it's a, a case I made point earlier that I think it's the Democrats aiding and abetting the Republicans trying to cut out and excise the cancer that is Donald Trump so that we can yeah. go back to politics as usual. But we, we've been at this divisiveness for a long time and it didn't start with Donald Trump. It, you can make a good case and point that it started with Nixon. It was you know, helped along the way a lot by Ronald Reagan and Newt Gingrich is, you know, I called him Nuke Gingrich at the time. Yeah. He came in and nuked the whole system and created the, the game of zero sum politics. And that has torn us apart since then. Right now, uh, according to the most recent data, Trump is sitting on about one hundred thirteen million dollars 
in campaign. And he's going to need every penny of that for his defense. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing, right? Trump is actually raising this money ostensibly to run, but we know he's paying off lawyers and not just his own lawyers, but the lawyers of people who are being loyal to him are being paid off with this money. But yes. if Trump's got $113 million, the RNC has about $40 million, the DNC has about $55 million, Biden's committees has about $7 million. Trump's sitting on more money than the RNC, the DNC, and Joe Biden combined. Is he going to run, Brian? I don't think he'll run. By the way, as much money as he's sitting on, he's going to end up going through and spending. He's got bills to pay and oh, yeah. uh, mouths to feed. And I, I, want, I, I was more convinced he wouldn't run before this, the January 6th hearing. Now I'm hearing he may run out of retaliation because he, he thinks that'll keep him from being indicted. That's what I'm uh, hearing. The Hill had a whole piece yeah. on this and how they really think that Trump might even announce before this week, this November. So if yeah. Trump, I mean, it's unthinkable that he would announce it like before the midterms. But if he did it, that put Trump that puts Trump on the ballot. Um, and that can only help Democrats. Am I right? Yeah, I think it'll only help Democrats. And at the end of the day, I don't think he'll be on the ballot, you know, in November of 2024. I still don't. I, I think that at the end of the day, he's I think Michael Cohen is his fixer has it right. He's just this is a grift. Everything that grift. Donald Trump does as a con is a grift. And um, at the end of the day, I don't believe that Donald Trump will be on the ballot in 2024. There's a good chance he'll be indicted, um, I, I think, out of Georgia. Or I, I think if you watch, you know, you know, I've talked about this before. But if you look at the January 6 hearings, it's a it's a very methodical, sober approach to backing Donald Trump into a corner and taking down everyone and getting them to flip. And I guarantee you that, you know. Uh, that if it, if it isn't Eastman, if it isn't Giuliani, it'll be Jeffrey Clark, who they yanked out of his house and threw on the front uh, in his front yard in his PJs. That that pasty faced doughboy ain't going to last too long in prison. He'll flip. And I think yeah. that he was there in those things. And I think, you know, it, it goes to, you know, a, a, a junior staffer to, you know, to pry it open and get people to look at it. So, um, you know, it was Hutchinson that did that. I would like to really hear and see what Cipollone says, uh, particularly since yeah. he was also in uh, the the uh, lawyer in, in my case when I sued Donald Trump to get my press pass back. Oh, really? And defeated, wow. Yeah, and defeated him three times in court. I'd really love to hear what Cipollone says on this one. What was your experience with Mr. Cipollone and, and what do you think about his testimony? It's not going to be open to the public this week, but I'm no. presumably we'll see parts of the video in future hearings. Well, you know, I talked to John Dean, of all people, last week about this and I and, and a couple of others uh, from way back when um, that, you know, went through this before and went through Watergate. And I think it was Dean who told me, he said, um, Cipollone is really worried about losing his conservative clientele. And what he really should be worried about is losing the democracy. So if Cipollone does that, and I believe what he's, he's a conservative Catholic with what, eight or 10 kids, some yeah. of them the same ages or close to the same age as Hutchinson is. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if he's going to be the guy, a stand up guy, if he's really going to be a stand up guy, we'll find out this week. I mean, what does stand-up guy even mean anymore? They're all looking out for themselves, well, yeah, and that well, and their their loyalty to the Constitution or a man depends on how much it helps them. That's all of them. Yeah, well, let's say if he wants to be a good Catholic, 
It's a bit late for that. He was raised by the Jesuits. Yeah, but based on the New Testament, he's a bit late to the to the Jesus party, (laughs) if you don't mind my saying. Yeah, he is. Uh, You know, the the hearings have been fascinating, and as you pointed out, it's been almost exclusively Republican witnesses, except for the two election workers from from Arizona. Right. Um, And and I'll tell you the truth. I mean, I've had moments where I'm like, is this just the committee to elect Ron DeSantis? I mean, I'm looking at Trump and and Ted Cruz's former aide telling Dick Cheney's daughter that uh, Mitch Mitch McConnell's problem is going to be solved. But they've been fascinating and they're really, really well done. You and I have been been covering them with uh, our friend Mary Trump. Up until now, this committee has focused these hearings on just the plotting, right? The plotting by Trump to steal a second term and how Trump was aware and made aware by people in his circle that the election wasn't stolen. Next Tuesday, they're going to go a different direction. They're going to go deep into the MAGA conspiracy swamp. It's going to be all about the Proud Boys. It's going to be all about uh, the Oath Keepers. Brian, what is the purpose of this? Oh, is this to give us more people, riot porn, or is it? Well, is it to show more riot porn, or <laughs> is it to show that Donald Trump was? Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Colluding in different ways with these organizations. Uh, seditionist, uh, uh, attempted coup, traitor. All of the apply. You know, I, you you said something that's interesting about it being a you know a, an ad for Ron DeSantis. I don't think that guy could get elected uh, nationwide. But I will say that what the Democrats should worry about is. If if she loses her seat, I think a Cheney Kinsinger ticket would be tough for the Democrats to to, uh, to defeat. I mean, I think she'd get a lot of crossover voters as a, a as a presidential. And in people, what year? In in twenty twenty four? Yeah, I think people. Kinsinger's short, not even going to be in Kinsinger. We had a Congress. He won't even be in Congress anymore. I know. Neither one of them will. It gives him plenty of time to run, doesn't it? And people have a short memory for the. For their particular brand of horror that they put Brian, aside. Who, who, who would have an easier time with this Republican Party, Mitt Romney or Liz Cheney? Who would have an easier time getting the nomination of the GOP? <laughs> well, to get the nomination of the GOP, it would be Kinsinger. I mean, I'm sorry. No, it would be Ron DeSantis. Uh, yeah. but, uh, and Mitt Romney certainly wouldn't. But I don't know that I, I, a lot of things have to play out before 2024. But I'm just saying that she's putting her, uh, I think, Cheney. And Kinsinger putting themselves in good position to do something in the future on a national right. level with what like they're be a doing. Demo- like be a Democrat's running mate on a unity ticket, you mean? Yeah, that could happen. I mean, there's so many things that are it, it, it really does, John, depend on what happens in the 2020 in the midterms, because if it, all bets are off, if the Democrats lose control of the House and the Senate and now it looks like they're they're guessing that they won't lose the Senate. Well, we'll see. But whatever happens in the midterms is that from that point on, you will be deterred. You'll you'll have a much better uh, grasp on what's going to happen in 2024 in the general. Right on, Mr. Karam. It is so good to see you. Thank you for joining us. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work? Uh, Let's see. It's at Brian Karam on uh, Twitter. It's just ask the question wherever fine podcasts are found and sold. And uh, each week, uh, column in salon dot com and of course, we did a documentary that's on, um, and uh, not Netflix. What is it? Oh, a- Amazon Prime, and hmm. it's called Six Feet Apart, and it's about the first uh, first part of the uh, COVID virus and the pandemic when we made a little trip across country. That's to right. See how the country was doing. So that's that's pretty much. I think that's pretty much it for right, right now. Right on. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Delve into the shadows of the mind. 
with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And I'm so pleased to welcome one of our favorite independent journalists back to the show. Nila Khan has worked all over the place, including Huffington Post, New York Daily News, Essence Magazine, The Associated Press, Alternet, and more. She has a great piece out right now on Medium that I am just crazy about and really, to me, speaks to, well, everything we're struggling with right now in terms of the Democratic Party. Her piece is called Democratic Leadership Must Learn Talk is cheap. What a pleasure to welcome the great Nita Khan back to the show. How are you? Thank you so much, John. I'm really happy to be back. It's been a minute since I've done your show, so I'm excited to be back here. I'm thrilled to have you back. Before we even dive into it, how how are you? How's your family? How are your people doing during this uh, this another orange resurgence? Yeah, I you mean, know, the virus, uh, not Trump, the virus. not Right. Trump. I was going to say, which one are you referring to? Because yeah. there's both going on right simultaneously. Um, it's a crazy time. I mean, even the fact that we're still doing this virtually right now, I know you've gone back into the studio a little bit. But, you know, the fact that over two years later, we're still primarily doing a lot of things virtually and a lot of things have remained the same since 2020, um, at least for some of us, they have. Right. So it's crazy. And I keep saying to people, this virus is not over. Uh, actually, my sister, her husband, my niece all got COVID just this week. Thankfully, they're doing much better. Knock on wood. Thank God they're they're in a much better place now. Fevers have gone down. But, you know, it's scary. Like you don't know how your own body is going to react. You don't know what sort of response you're going to have. So it's a very precarious time for a lot of people, for all of us, actually. It is. It is. And of course, precarious seems to be the operative word for our country these days, uh, when, whether we're talking about the, the, the hearings, the shootings or the rulings. And of course, the Supreme Court just laid a doozy on us. Um, your piece is all about what happened in the Dobbs case where they have overturned Roe v. Wade and effectively ended federal abortion rights for millions of women around the country. I, I think for most people neither that I've talked to, they've said they knew it was coming. But they were mm-hmm. still shocked nonetheless. And right now there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of fire. There's a lot of passion. There's a lot of fear. And there's a lot of worry that there's not a lot of leadership on this so far. Uh, your piece speaks directly to this. How do you feel the Democratic Party and White House so far have responded in the first 10 days, two weeks or so since this ruling? 
Yeah, I think you perfectly encapsulated pretty much, you know, the summary of my piece that a lot of people, including the base of the Democratic Party, the progressive base, younger voters, voters of color, people who have come out continuously election after election because they know that so much is on the line. Right. We're told every election, you know, midterms, you got to come out, presidential elections, local elections. And I think a lot of people understand that. And they've put aside, you know, um, I mean, you can't say everybody, but a lot of voters let's say even in 2016 they felt that they were ignored but they still knew once hillary clinton became the nominee for the democratic party they knew what was at stake they right. knew that donald you know a donald trump presidency would be such a threat so they still came out and vote because they know that everything is on the line and that same passion and vigor and loyalty you just don't see represented in the party itself now the progressive aspect of the Democratic Party, you know, leaders like Representative Ocasio-Cortez, Senator Elizabeth Warren and the Progressive Caucus and a lot of those folks are, in fact, of course, very vocal and very loud and trying to push the party to do more. But when it comes to the leadership at the top and from the Democratic establishment, it is just not up to par. I'm sorry, the response has been milk toast, and it's just not adequate. I don't even know what else to say at this point, because it is so frustrating to women, to people of color, to LGBTQ community, to everybody, to anybody that cares about the future of this country and the future of our world, because you're talking about human rights and civil rights that are literally being eroded away. You saw this in 2013 when the Supreme Court attacked the Voting Rights Act, right? And then you saw states implement tons of draconian laws once they did that. And you're seeing the same thing happen now with abortion. And what is the response? It just does not match the level of fear, anger, and frustration that is out there. Yeah. I mean, the White House has announced that Joe Biden's going to make an abortion-related announcement and remarks tomorrow around 11.30 a.m. Um, but it seems like so far, uh, obviously it's important we get the vote out in November, but it seems like so far the response to the gutting of Roe has been generated around turning out the vote more than what can we do besides us. What can our elected officials in the Democratic Party do? We're seeing, for example, some attorneys general or DAs who are saying they will not prosecute people who uh, terminate pregnancies in uh, if they happen to be in states with trigger laws. I mean, we're seeing it happen on the local level here and there. Um, what would you like to see uh, this party do beyond get the vote out? Right. And that's a great point. You know, I want to be very clear that obviously I'm not advocating for people to stay home and not vote and not participate because then we're going to end up in an even worse situation. Right. We're going to have even more conservative right wing Republican leaders and crazy. Honestly, you can't even say the fringe. I mean, they're the mainstream of the Republican Party now and you're going to have their policies in place, their officials in place. So obviously voting is absolutely crucial and people do need to participate and come out and vote. But that being said, said, you know, the response from the Democratic Party can't just simply be that or here, donate to my campaign because this is on the line. Because at that point, it looks like you care more about your own position and about getting reelected or elected to office than what your constituents are facing. So I pointed out in my piece that, you know, there's actually a lot more that President Biden can do. And I know the Progressive Caucus has pushed for this too. the leaders that I mentioned, like Elizabeth Warren, Ocasio-Cortez. So things like increasing access to 
to abortion medication, providing federal resources for people seeking abortion care in the states that do have those draconian laws in place now. And then also using federal property and land to assist women in those states as well. Um, you know, there's things that he could do via executive orders. There's a plenty of federal agencies that can do things. You can, he, you know, he can say we need every single agency, all hands on deck. We have to do something about this. He could declare right. a public health emergency, which would grant, you know, Correct. even more increased government power. So for, you know, for him to just kind of throw up his hands in the air and say, you know, uh, we need to codify Roe v. Wade, but Manchin and Cinema, we all know what's going to happen with that. The Manchinema, the the numbers are not there. Uh, they're not going to be able to yeah. eliminate the filibuster. And the frustration from the party is like you have one side that's literally burning the house down, right? Like attacking democracy, attacking everything, burning everything down. And then you have another party that's just responding. As I said in my piece and I've said on your show before, they come to a knife fight with a pontificating thought. And it yeah. is beyond frustrating. It is beyond frustrating. I know I keep saying frustrating, the word frustrating, because it is, because people are pissed off and angry. And it's like, what are you doing? What? Like, we're literally fearful of what's going to happen. Women are going to die. Uh, other people may possibly die down the line, too. And as the Supreme Court, as Justice Clarence Thomas indicated, they're planning on attacking more things. So this right. is not up to par. I'm sorry. And, you know, it it, it is interesting because... Um, you you write in your piece on Medium, unlike Republicans who feign outrage any chance they get, much of the Democratic establishment does the bare minimum to string along their supporters without any semblance of the fierce urgency of now. Now, I'm guilty of making fun of certain kinds of Democrats many times in the past for being, you know, human pinatas, for being Clark Kent without a phone booth, for being like an S&M slave who forgot their safe word and can't stop being pummeled. Uh, I could go on with the metaphors, but you know what I'm saying. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think, though, that it's not a question of uh, left and right in the Democratic Party. We keep hearing, oh, they don't want to be seen as being too liberal, too radical. To me, I think people want to see passionate leadership and the fact is, the overwhelming majority of Americans support women's reproductive rights in all or some cases. So a, a president okay. fighting really, really hard to guarantee abortion rights is technically a president being extremely mainstream. Is that fair exactly. to say? Exactly. It's not against the party. It's not against the majority of the American public. And, you know, what really troubles me, too, there was some reporting about how the president was considering nominating a judge who was actually a Republican who was anti-abortion in Kentucky. And then there were some emails that were released that apparently he was planning on or the White House was planning on doing this the day before the Supreme Court ruling. But now they're backtracking from it and they're not going to do it. And again, it signals that, you know, oh, let me work with McConnell. Let me work with these folks. So it's like, really, who are you working with and in what interest? This is not in the interest of your party and not, not in the interest of the majority of the populace of the country. And I think a lot of people are tired of that hypocrisy. And I said in my piece, you know, it's not voter apathy. It's voter frustration because it's like right, right. folks keep coming out, keep coming out. But then the basic things that they're pushing for are not codified into law. You don't have that anger and frustration, the level of passion that is needed for this moment, like I said, the fierce urgency of now. What do you think Republicans would be doing if the tables were turned? I mean, let's be serious. Everything would be suspended. Everything would be burned down. It would be mayhem. And it's just not the same when it comes to the Democrats. 
It's really quite true. A lot of the folks I talk to, Nida, who are liberal or moderate or progressive or Democrats, um, they're, they're walking this existential tightrope of dread. They want to criticize this White House for not being more out in front of stories, for playing defense so much. They want to see people like Gavin Newsom releasing this ad, taking the fight to the right wing. They don't want to criticize this president or this White House too much because they don't want to do Tucker Carlson's job for them. Right. But you bring right. up very interestingly what happened to Barack Obama after he was first elected in 2008, um, because the rap on Obama at the time was that he I don't know that it's fair, but a lot of people thought he really kind of uh, left his base behind and mm-hmm. didn't really give them anywhere to put all the energy that they had used to get him elected. Remind us what happened with Barack Obama's first midterm election. Right. So you have this, you know, diverse, multicultural and a lot of young people and first time voters that came out. The Obama coalition is what they dubbed it at the time. So you had all these folks, this energy, and then they had no marching orders from the top. It was like as soon as he got into office. okay, thank you for getting me in. And now I'm going to move on to other things. So all of that energy dissipated and it turned again into complacency. And unfortunately, a lot of people did not turn out in 2010 in the midterms like they should have. And meanwhile, on the other side, you had Republicans that did their usual racist, Islamophobic, fear-mongering, yeah. generating, and all of that Tea Party nonsense against health care. They galvanized their voters. And then to quote Obama himself, there was a shellacking in the midterms. And they took so many state houses and so many positions of power in all of these states, which now we're seeing the ramifications for so much of that with these laws that have been passed and other laws that have been passed, including voting Um, voting laws and things that are impacting what's happening right now on the ground in states around the country. So they, I always say they play, you know, Republicans play the long game and Democrats, unfortunately, play the short-sighted immediacy. You know, you could say checkers versus chess, whatever analogy you want to use. And I know I've talked about this on your show before, too, where the Dems are just terrible at messaging and now everybody's talking about that. You know, whereas Republicans, they use those bumper sticker slogans. They repeat the same thing over and over and over again and they know how to get their people out and i understand it's it is harder because you have a more diverse coalition on the democrat side there are more interests but when you have a groundswell of energy and where the fervor is that's where you need to go that's where i see the difference between the democrats and the republicans where i talked about this in the piece too in 2016 when there were 80 million republican candidates running for the presidency and once it became clear that the energy was with donald trump and he was most likely going to clinch the nomination they all fell in line they all started to kiss the ring because they knew that that's where they needed to be and they knew that they could utilize him to get whatever they wanted, including Supreme Court seats, all kinds of federal judges in place, all kinds of laws passed and rights taken away from people. And that's why they fell behind him. So they knew where the energy was. They knew it wasn't wise to go against him, whereas the Democratic side does everything to quell their energy and their base. And I don't know if it's done on purpose, if it's a malicious thing. How so? How so to quell? How so to quell? How so to quell? 
Exactly what we're talking about, where the base and the energy wants you to do more and they're not right. doing it, where you're just repeating the same talking points, the same, you know, milk toast, vanilla stuff that's not an adequate response to the moment that we're in. And that's what you see over and over again. And also where you see a lot of, you know, blame being put on the left, saying that it's the quote unquote woke mob. The progressives are the ones that are ruining everything like that's not the way you're supposed to lead when that when there's so much energy from that wing of the party. That's not how you treat them. Well, and it's interesting because you talk about how the Republicans fall in line. They've just got this very narrow, like one quarter of America, maybe 27, 28 percent of just right wing, mm-hmm. mostly white people. And they that's the status quo. They've just got to get that part to show up. Democrats have to get everybody else. You know, they talk about how Fox News's ratings are so high. And it's like, well, compared to news, because there's everyone is watching Fox who's a right wing person. But SpongeBob SquarePants gets higher numbers than Fox. Democrats are getting people watching every channel. Republicans are getting people watching one channel. It's it's a very uneven game they're playing. But we but do they though? Because there's also you know what is it AON or ONN or whatever well, sure. it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean the Fox and then there's clones, like sure. even more you know Newsmax. So like there's all of those. Right. As but well? What I'm saying is right wing propaganda disguised as news channels versus. Everything else on the TV dial, you know, that's right. sort of the, the Democrats have to get all these different co. We got to get the people who like sitcoms and nature shows and news to come in. And we right. make fun of these Republicans who tell the truth about Trump and then fall in line. And after he cleans up in the primaries in 2016, these Lindsey Graham's, these Marco Rubio's, these Ted Cruz's, these gutless mm-hmm. monstrosities who just fall in line. Well, we we rag on them, but really they're showing Democrats how to do it. I mean, exactly. we, and Democrats are always screw you for only agreeing with me on 85 percent of the issues. Right. Exactly. There were so many uh, Republican candidates and party leaders and folks in the GOP that in 2016 said, you know, I don't like Trump's words. I don't like some of his behavior, but I agree with his policies or but I'm going to fall in line and vote for him anyway. Even till this day, there are so many of them that are saying like, yeah, you know, he might have done been responsible for the insurrection. He might have tried to destroy democracy and make himself a dictator. But I think I'll still vote for him. I'm like, I can't even listen. Listen to this. It's just honestly, there are no words left. And I'm very worried that in this upcoming midterm and in the 2024 election that you're going to have a lot of voters that are going to stay home because I'm hearing this more and more where people are like, well, what's the point? They don't push hard enough. They don't fight enough. So why do I keep showing up? And there's no point in voting and I'm just going to stay home. Right. I and hear that a lot, too. Oh, I hear that a lot. That, that's that's uh, uh, that, so that's but that's um, what we call uh, shitty. Right. I mean, I mean that I I hear it a lot from people I respect. Why am I going to fight for this party and go vote again when they blah, blah, blah. I mean, because this is the only game in town. And if the coalition's not strong, then the fascists win because I I get it. I get the frustration, but the racists are showing up to vote. You know, the trickle downers are showing up to vote. The white, the white nationalists, they're all the gun freaks. They're all showing up and they might not like Kevin McCarthy, but they're going to work hard to make him speaker because they are organized. And this is why the Democratic Party and the Democratic establishment needs to stop trying to go after those voters. They think somehow that they can win back those Trump voters, those Republicans that have or those folks that have gone to the Republican Party. No, you need to focus on the people that show up for you, the people that cast their ballots for you and the people that have your back. That is who you need to place your focus on, not those folks that are never coming back like those. The people that have gone towards Trump, that's it. You can forget about it. They are not coming back this way. 
I agree. But also the Democrats, don't they have to focus on the people who don't vote? I mean, to me, it seems like people who, who stay home, people who have become citizens in the last few years, people who have turned 18 in the last few years. I mean, that was the Stacey Abrams model. She didn't go in after Trump supporters to try to convince them that they had been hoodwinked. She went after everybody who didn't vote last time who can vote this time. And it seems like the Democrats just need to take the fight to a wider audience, cast a bigger net. It, it seems like Roe v. Wade being repealed, Nitha, could be the mm-hmm. thing that gets people off the couch. What do you think? Well, it, it is definitely getting people off the couch and in the streets. Like you saw protests around the country. You know, you saw women, men, everyone, kids, you know, you name it. Everybody was out there uh, protesting and galvanizing out there and frustrated. And then you saw the response, right? Some protesters were tear gas. Uh, you see the Supreme Court protected. You see Supreme Court justices protected. Meanwhile, we can't get average American citizens protected, you know, with gun laws that protect us. But that's a whole different separate conversation. Um, But, you know, so you see the people that are galvanized that are out there. Right. But again, the response from the party and Biden, like, I'm glad he's speaking tomorrow. But is it going to be more of the same that we've heard or is there another plan in action? Is he going to take greater steps to help protect women and women's health care? You know, I can't even imagine living in one of those states where this went into effect, the level of fear that so many women must be facing. And let's be clear, it's a majority. The people who will suffer the most are lower income women, women of color who don't have access, who don't have the ability and the means to go to other states or seek some some sort of other care. Moms, mothers. I mean, 60 percent of the women who terminate pregnancies are women who already have kids. Poor moms are going to be suffering because of this. Exactly. And, you know, maternal health care, it's atrocious in this country. So you're literally going to have women that are going to die because of this. And that is what people don't understand. And how dare you tell women what to do with their own bodies? I mean, in 2022, this is happening in the United States of America, supposedly the bastion of, you know, equality and progress and women's rights. You know, we went around the country, I mean, around the world, uh, showing democracy or spreading democracy and saying women were being oppressed. And then look what's happening right in our own nation. Amen. Amen. So so let me ask you then, Nitha, in our final moments. And by the way, if you're joining us, we are talking with uh, our good friend, the great journalist Nitha Khan. Uh, she has an excellent piece on Medium called Democratic Leadership Must Learn. Talk is cheap. Did you see the Gavin Newsom video that was released inexplicably on the 4th of July, just on Fox News, just in Florida, just to attack Ron DeSantis in his home turf. You know, I actually did not see it. I'm sorry. To, I'm ashamed to say I've not seen it yet, but no I worries. will watch it. Because it, it does seem like at least one national Democrat who is stepping up and auditioning for the role of standard bearer for the party, saying, exactly. I'm, I'm going to show you how to do it and I'm going to do it. And it, you know, didn't mention anybody else, just said, here's why we're awesome, why they're bad. And it was all about telling conservatives how their rights are being taken from them. It was very, very audacious and the kind of stuff that we're not used to hearing Democrats do. Good. That's what we need more of. You know, even when Beto O'Rourke, when he was when, uh, yeah. you know, that press conference they were having after Uvalde, when he took You're it right. straight. Exactly. Like that. Would, that's what people want to see. They want to see you have a backbone. They want to see you fighting. We're not saying all of this stuff is going to get through. It's going to be easy. But people want to see that fight. They want to see that passion. And that is what's required right now. When, again, so many of our basic human and civil rights are under attack and democracy itself 
itself is under attack. Because if you're just going to have some half-assed response, guess what? There's going to be nothing left and you're not even going to have your position left after that. That's what they fail to realize that, you know, all of this like, oh, half-assed response is somehow going to save their positions of power and wherever they are in office. No, there's going to be nothing left. Democracy itself will be gone if you don't take further action and have more of a backbone in this mm-hmm. moment. Are, are you following the uh, January 6th hearings, Ms. Khan? Because while I think yes, that uh, they're very compelling and very moving and very very well produced and very well done um, mm-hmm. and getting the facts out there and we may see indictments. I don't know if it's going to move the needle in this country politically. I think it could make things better for Republicans who aren't Donald Trump, but I don't know if that's going to actually stimulate Democratic turnout. Well, if there's no actual accountability, right? Like if the DOG, DOJ doesn't follow up, if Donald Trump is not put in handcuffs, then what was it all for? Like, again, it's very compelling. It's very important. Of course, people like you and I are tuning into it nonstop. And actually, 20 million some voter, uh, 20 million some people tuned in the first night. And I really wish, honestly, that all of the hearings would have been prime time. I believe this week will be prime time or next week, sorry, will be prime time. And I wish all of them had been that way. So I'm glad folks are tuning in. But if there's no accountability at the end of the day, then again, people are going to be like, well, what was the point of all of this if you're not doing anything and these folks are getting away with murder? Nita Khan, it's always a great pleasure to have you with us. Her new piece on Medium is called Democratic Leadership Must Learn. Talk is cheap. What are you working on next? Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm actually working on another piece and I'm just getting back into the writing realm because I'd taken a year off and worked on a couple projects at PBS, which were great. So it was on the production end and that was fascinating and fun and exciting. But now I'm happy to be back writing, which is, I think, like my forte anyway. So brilliant. What's the best way for our listeners to uh, follow you and keep up with your work? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's Nidakan NY. So it's N-I-D-A-K-H-A-N-N-Y. So good to see you, Nitha. Welcome back. Please come see us again very soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you, John. We will be right back with your calls. This is SiriusXM. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. I'm John saying You guys have been on hold for a very long time, and I thank you very much. Let's go to the phones. Hello to Dave in Santa Fe. Hey, man. It's been a while. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. How are you? 
Hey, man, I'm doing pretty good. Glad to hear it. I, re- I appreciate, you know, Gil Scott Heron again coming on, and then I'm waiting for uh, Political World with Bob coming up again, I hope. Oh, that's right. But, uh, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Hey, you guys have a great show. I was telling Thea that I keep uh, in the last few weeks since the Roe Wade decision, I keep hearing people call in. Uh, for the, those of you who don't know, I am an enrolled member of the Lakota tribe, Lakota Nation, First Nations. And we have no, they're saying, oh, you can go to the reservation. It's the medical care is all federal. It's called IHS, Indian mm-hmm. Health Service. Mm-hmm. We have no control over it. You can call tribal leaders, tribal council, anybody. They have no control over it. So I've heard on Stephanie, on Michelangelo, Dean, Tom Hartman, people keep calling in. They called in tonight to you saying, you know, people can go there. Well, we have no control over it at all. Well, my whole point has been that people, my whole point has been that well-intentioned progressive people shouldn't presume that the tribal lands are there (laughs) to serve their needs. Uh, You know, that should have been the historic problem. And I I agree with it. Like, it's a lovely idea. I love, I love the idea of doing it. It's, it's a beautiful idea, but a lot of well-intentioned people are just kind of presuming, (laughs) presuming that the tribes will be happy to do whatever we tell them to do. They don't really know the history, and I have compassion on them. But I wanted to try to set that straight. Uh, I tried to get that message through to Dean one day, but it didn't really go through. But, uh, John, uh, as a man of compassion like you are, you completely understand that how that goes. And we have, well, we have good medical care sometimes, and other times not so great. Okay. Well, of course. You know, of I course. got it. Yeah, I got a hernia operation from a, a a beautiful man, a white man who has been on up in Rosebud for many, many years. And a lot of these medical professionals, doctors come there, and they don't stay for very long, but he's been there for a long time. Wow. And I was taken care of very well. But wow. on other things like dental and other services... You know, it's not that great. But, I know. Uh, I don't want to. Dig- I don't want to digress too much. Listen, but, I, you, but you're talking to the right guy because I think medi- you know Medicare should cover vision, hearing, and dental, yeah. and I think everyone should yeah, have Medicare. Should. Everyone should have well, full I access have, to. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm a tribal member, but I still have Medicare and I have Medicaid, but it doesn't cover eyes and doesn't cover dental work. Wow. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, right. but I wanted to uh, point that out to people that we don't have the people on the res, which I call a refugee camp. We okay. don't have any control over that medical care. It's all federal. Okay, you can talk to any tribal. But if if but if if tri- let me ask you this: if if different yeah. uh, nations and reservations wanted to make a deal with the federal government, where the federal government um, would say license out space for contractors to come in. I know federal dollars can't be, go to abortion services, yeah. but if they could find a way, yeah. do you think, and if it was a way that was beneficial to the tribal community, would reservations be more open to having this procedure be performed? Well, I'm, I'm sure they're already open about it, but they don't have the control. 
because yeah. the federal government government has the control. But we, yeah, we'd be totally open. I think I'd talk to my relatives. They they would all say, yeah, we'd be open, but we don't have the control over it. Right on. Thank you so much for the call. Yeah, man. I really do appreciate it. Good to hear from you, man. Okay, John. Thank all you. Right.